Hello, this is a warning that the following podcast recording involves conversations relating to suicide attempts, suicide, addiction, domestic violence, and mental health. She's a best-selling author and life coach, obsessed with helping women to silence their insecurities, build healthy boundaries, and fearlessly pursue the life and career of their dreams. Join her as she provides you with strategies and real-life tips to create your best life. Welcome to Fearless Fridays with Marianne. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fearless Fridays with Marianne. I am your host, Marianne Rivera Dannert, and today we are joined by an amazing woman who has one powerful story to share, and I know that you are going to get a lot from this conversation, so let's welcome her in and get started. Hi, Charlene. How are you? Hi, Marianne. I'm excellent. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So tell us, tell us who are you and what's your story? Uh, my name is Charlene Madden. I live in the beautiful province in Canada of British Columbia. Uh, I'm kind of right in the middle at the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So I have a beautiful view out my backyard, except for all the snow that I have out there. So um, I am a speaker. I am an author and I'm a women's empowerment coach. Um I work on helping women step into determining their purpose and their passion and how they can implement that and uh, and live a life that is in alignment with that. And it kind of goes back to um, my story of not knowing what my purpose was and kind of being adrift for most of my life. Um, I didn't have a very ideal childhood. I uh, came from a broken family. My father was a severe alcoholic, violent. And at the age of three, I went to live with my grandparents. And um, my grandmother was an absolutely amazing woman, uh, very far ahead for her her time and her age. Um, She believed in women's independence. And that was one of the things she always taught me was be strong, be independent, Mm -hmm. depend on yourself. So my grandmother was um, such an important role model in my life. My grandfather, unfortunately, was a pedophile. And um, I experienced uh, sexual abuse at his hands, both my sister and I, from the age, my age of three to uh, 12. So we went through nine years of of sexual abuse. Um, The abuse eventually came out. My grandparents separated and life became a bit of an emotional struggle. Um, Unfortunately, back in the 80s, um, there wasn't a lot of follow-up done. After the abuse came out, I remember uh, sitting in a social services office and the social worker just kind of patting me on the back saying everything was going to be okay. Mm. And as a child, you know, a young 12-year-old child who's just starting to come into herself, nothing felt like it was going to be okay. I was, I had lost my, uh, my parents in my life and now the only secure family that I knew had been broken apart so I kind of felt shattered at that point Um, went into high school which is a difficult time for all of us um, (laughs) because you're just trying to figure out who you are as a person and um, I started to develop severe um, depression Um, Mm. suicidal ideologies I was cutting um, just doing all these things I started drinking heavily in high school and um, I was just trying to numb myself at that point. And uh, I remember I used to write a lot as a teenager. That was my early teens. That was my way of 
um, expressing all the pain that I was feeling inside. And I always said that I, I poured ink onto paper rather than blood mm -hmm. out because to me at that time it was one or the other. Yeah. Um, but when you're writing such dark topics, um, it usually garners attention and it did. Uh, my English teacher knew something was up. Um, so I got pulled into the school counselor's office. I uh, was told I was going to have to go through a psychiatric evaluation. Uh, school psychologist comes in. I have the evaluation. I'm diagnosed as manic depressive bipolar. Hmm. Okay. At that age, I have no idea what any of that right. means. And I remember the school psychiatrist just kind of patting me on the back and going, you're going to be okay. And I thought, wow, you know, even as, you know, as, as a teenager, I'm like, this has the same flavor as before, right. but that was it. But I just got the pat on the back and it was, there was nothing, there was no follow-up, there was no ongoing counseling. So again, I feel that not only do I have the stigma of I am a sexual abuse survivor, and I mean, and I grew up in a small, like a smaller town, 2,500 people where I grew up, so everybody knew what had happened. Now I'm into high school, so not only am I that, I'm facing that stigma, but now I'm crazy on top of it, right, is what my mind is thinking. Right. And um, so all I kept thinking was, I just want to get through school and I want to get out of here. I want to leave because I thought if I could just change where I was, mm -hmm. everything would get better. Yeah. And I learned that um, relocating is just geography. It doesn't, uh, it didn't matter where I went. Um, I was still there. And until I was willing to do the work, um, nothing was going to change. So um, I left high school, graduated high school, left, moved with my high school sweetheart. Um, and we were together 13 and a half years, had three beautiful children together. Um, but I was still that broken person inside. Right. And um, I got to a point and I was, I believe I was 28. When I made the decision, I left my marriage because I was having a mental breakdown and I was terrified that my children were going to come home from school and find me dead mm. because I knew that if I didn't change something, right. that was, that was the path that I was on. Um, and I thought, okay, if I just, again, relocate outside of my marriage, um, it's not that my marriage was horrible. My husband was, um, he was an okay guy, but I just wasn't okay. And I thought just moving that would change. But of course, that didn't change anything. So um, unfortunately, dealing with all of the um, abandonment issues and, and stuff that I had, I left my marriage. And within a month, I was in another relationship. And this was an extremely toxic relationship. This person had just left uh, a relationship. So basically, we were two broken people. They got together and um, it, you know, again, that relationship lasted 13 years, but throughout that relationship, there was um, violence, uh, extreme domestic violence. Mm. There was um, drug use on his part. Um, I was still drinking heavily at the time. Um, and I remember getting to a point where I thought, you know, I looked back on everything and I thought I left my children this yeah and I was so dark that I just remember walking into my bathroom and just any pills everything that I could have I could find 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he had injured his back, so he there was painkillers in the bathroom, so I just, everything. Mm-hmm. And I sat down on my couch and started writing letters to my children about, you know, you know apologizing right. for leaving and trying to explain. Yeah. And as I'm sitting there and the tears are streaming down my face because I'm terrified of leaving my children like my parents did for me. Mm. I had felt, you know, here I'd felt all the issues I was dealing with by being abandoned. Here I was abandoning my children in the worst way. Right. And um, I remember picking up my cell phone, calling a cab, getting in the cab, driving to the hospital, go in and I sit down at the, the entry desk there and I'm saying, well, you know, what are you here for? And I said, I just overdosed on pills. And that was the last thing I remember. And I don't know how long I was out, but I remember waking up to tubes down my my throat, um, and I'm in intensive care because they were pumping my stomach mm-hmm. and, and all of that. So it was at that point that my partner had reached out. He had called my mom and said, "I don't know where she is. I'm really worried." And so my mom was like, "Okay, she gets on the after I get discharged from the hospital. She's like, you need to make a change. You need to move." out west which is where she was moving um which okay yeah great you know i get my kids i move out west but here just keeps repeating that pattern of okay right relocate right you know you think i'm gonna go in here sooner or later but so i relocate out to the west like british columbia and um the partner who i had been with there decided he was going to move to six months later Mm. so you know, and I just kind of go along with it. And that pattern in that relationship just continued. It was, you know, violence and adultery and drug use. And um, I remember hitting a point where I said, okay, enough. I can't do this anymore. Um, He moved out, moved right in with another person. And um, I started over and started going, okay, I need to be okay with being okay with just myself. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be single for a while. I'm going to work on me. And um, two and a half months later, after he left, um, I had a police officer show up at my place of work. And this was an officer who had dealt with us on a previous domestic. So he, he knew where he could find me and um, asked me to step outside and informed me that my ex-partner had taken his life. Hmm. And my my whole world crumbled at that point. Um, this man had raised my children for 13 and a half years. He had been like a father to them and he had been my partner for that long. And I was, I was devastated. Mm -hmm. And as I was dealing with those emotions, I started getting mad. And I remember people saying, well, it's okay. You know, anger is a stage of grief. And I thought, no, you don't understand. I'm not mad that he took his life. I'm mad that he did it first Mm. because I'm left here picking up the emotional pieces for my children, Mm -hmm. for his friends, because no one knew. I mean, we, we each knew the mental struggles that we were going through. Right. And in a, and we were really in a sick way, so codependent on each other that way that we balanced each other. You know, when I was down, he was up. And when he was down, I was up. And I always say, thank God we were never both down at the same time. Or it could have been both of us. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I'm sitting here going, you know, now I can't do it. 
right? Like he robbed me of that opportunity because now I see what everyone is is going through. So I just, you know, slapped a, a smile on my face and just kept pretending like I had done for so many years that I was okay. And it worked for a while. And I mean, and he took his life in 2014, September of 2014. Um, and I remember just feeling like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to just try to get through all this. I um, received a, a life insurance policy um, because of his death and thought, okay, I, you know, I'm going to be able to get a house now for my kids. And, and, um, you know, so 20, I, I apologize. He passed away in 2015 because um, I purchased the house in 2016. But after it happened, I just kept sinking lower and lower and lower down and I remember purchasing the house. And I mean, and I had been seeing a psychiatrist at this time. And she was so excited for me that I was buying a house. She thought, okay, great. You're, you're, um, you're making plans for the future. That's a positive sign. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, it's like, man, you have no idea. Yeah. I'm not making plans, but I'm buying this house because I'm going to leave it as a legacy for my children. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is what all I have to give them. You know, as I, as I thought, that's all I had to give them. So, you know, 2016, I reach, you know, we get the house in, in um, September of 2016. My plan is the following month, I'm going to take my life. I can't do it anymore. I can't pretend I'm okay. I'm tired. I'm exhausted of trying yeah. to pretend that I'm okay when I'm not. And I had picked out it was a monday i was going to do it on a monday because mondays suck anyway right we all who likes a monday right so let's, let's just do it on a monday <laughs> and so i had the location picked i was actually going to go to the same location where he had taken his life because it was an absolutely beautiful spot um and i was going to do it in the same way i was going to shoot myself and um i had loaded up the hunting rifle it was in the back seat of my vehicle and I only had to get through that last weekend. And I had a, a plan that weekend of, I had bought a ticket because a, a coworker of mine had said, there's this women's workshop. You should come, come with it. Like, come with me to this workshop. And I was like, oh, that's the last thing I really want to do. And she's like, come on. But I was just so fixated on keeping up this persona that I was okay. But I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll go to this workshop. And I remember going in Saturday morning and I was like disgusted, kind of as I'm looking around, all these women are there and they're excited and they're like so energized and, yeah. you know, talking about their future and what their life holds for them. And I'm like, I just got to get through this weekend, right? That's all. My life holds nothing. And I listened to, you know, the speakers, you know, you got people coming up and they're talking about health and fitness. And I'm like, okay, I don't care, right? And I'm not worried about <laughs> losing weight and, you know, finances. And I'm thinking, well, I don't care about that either. And then a lady comes on stage and her name was Vanessa McWilliams and she comes up and she's bald as a, a baby's butt and she's talking about self-love. She has alopecia, so she's mm -hmm. lost all of her hair and she's talking about self-love. And I'm thinking, you know, how can she be so confident and how can she have so much self-love? Like, yeah. you know, she would have the reasons to not have any of those things. And I kind of heard this voice in the back of my head and it's like, well, what about you? Like, what about, you know, why can't you be mm. secure and confident and love right. yourself? 
And I kind of just disregarded that. Mm -hmm. to it. As we do. <laughs> as, as we do. Yeah. We, we listen to the negative. We, we, kind of, we tend to drown out that positive. So, yeah. um, and the next speaker gets up and her name is Shiloh Fayette. And she speaks about dealing with mental health issues and how she had struggled for 20 plus years and how she'd gotten to a place where she was okay. And I'm like, man, I wish I could feel okay. Mm. You know, I wish just something in me felt okay. Mm. Right. And then again, I hear that little voice in the back of my head, but it's getting a little louder. And it's like, well, what about you? Like, why can't you feel okay? If she can feel okay, why can't you? And then the next speaker, the last speaker for that day, gets up and his name is Jared Morrison. And he gets on stage and he starts talking about living with depression and being suicidal and how mm. he drank to numb his pain, how he had children and had lost, you know, lost a relationship with his children. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, taking painkillers and he was trying to find that perfect um, combination of alcohol and painkillers so that he could just slip away because he sold life insurance. Mm -hmm. So he needed it to be a suicide, but not look like a suicide. Right. Mm -hmm. And, He's listening and he's, or he's talking and he's, he's talking about, he's, he finally got a visit with his kids and he's, he's laying on the couch and that was the night he found that perfect combination and he's laying on the couch and he can feel himself slipping away and he's watching his kids, mm -hmm. you know, and he's thinking, no, not like this. Like he can, he's like, I can hear a voice in my head saying, no, not today, not like this. You have to live. And he picked up the phone and he called for help. And there was something in that moment of hearing his story. And I could hear that little voice, but it's not quiet anymore. It's like it's screaming at me, going, yeah. what about you? Yeah. And I'm thinking, you are hearing these messages for a reason. You are in the exact place at the exact time that you're supposed to be at. It's like... Yeah. Source, God, universe has put you here because it's given you one last ditch effort to be okay. Yeah. But you have to make the choice. Mm. And I I felt the switch in that moment after his like I am I'm crying sitting in my chair. The poor girl yeah. that I worked with kind of looking at me like, are you okay? Right. <laughs> and I'm like just sobbing because it just it clicked. It clicked, and I was like, if he wouldn't have chosen to take this crap that he was dealing with and go out and share his story, I wouldn't be here. Like, mm -hmm. I would go out Monday, and I would end it all. And I'm like, maybe I'm here because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I'm supposed to take my story and all of the stuff I've gone through and go out and save someone's life just like he's done for me. And I remember going up to the, the organizer of the event afterwards, uh, like Sunday, I, I sat down with her and said, I just want you to know what an impact that this weekend had on my life. I came in here expecting nothing other than just to fill two days of my life. Yeah. And I said, but I want you to know that this event has saved my life. And she's kind of like looking at me because she didn't know me. And I said, and next year I'd like to come back and speak at your event. Mm. She's like, okay, well, we'll do interviews, right? She had no idea. <laughs> And it's like that, I left that weekend and everything changed. And I went, you know what? Like, I need to love myself. 
Mm-hmm. That was number one. Like I need to mm-hmm. not depend on someone else validating me. I don't need someone else to tell me I'm okay or I'm good enough or I'll love you and so you'll be okay. I know I'll be okay. I'm going to love myself. And it's like, and okay, so I know other people live with mental health and depression. What do I need to do to start moving forward? And it's like, and what do I need to do to step into my purpose of sharing my story? And one of those huge things for me was, was overcoming fear because I realized how much of my life I had let fear control, fear of people leaving me, fear of not being good enough, not being worthy. Yeah. All these fears that I dragged along with me as a child, I was like, I need to start embracing those fears. And the MC at the event did a little event where he said, I want you guys to write down six fears that you have. And I want you to just number them one to six. And then I want you to take a die, like a, a dice. And I want you to roll that. Whatever number comes up first, I want you to do that fear. He's like, these don't have to be huge mm-hmm. fears. I want you to, to start conquering little fears because then you'll prove to yourself that you can do the, the scary right. things and that you'll be okay. So I had like things on my, on my list, like ask someone out on a date. I had never asked anyone out because I was always fear of rejection. And I was kind of like, okay, I want someone to say no to me. I want someone to reject me so that I go, you know what? I'm still here. I'm okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I had um, published my book of poetry, all the poems that I had written over, you know, my years of, of depression. I had all compiled, but I was afraid to publish them because what if someone didn't think they were good enough? What if someone didn't like them? Right. And I realized, who cares? Like you wrote these for you at the time, not for anybody else. So publish it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I had talked about a business that I was trying to start. I can't remember them all. But the one I do always remember is get a pedicure. And I always laugh mm-hmm. when I say this because I have this foot thing. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's like, I don't, you know, like, I don't like people looking at my feet. Not that I have ugly feet. I don't know what it is. Um, I found out my brother has the same issue. but And I was like, okay, I need to just go have a pedicure and I'll, I'll conquer that one of my entire list of things uh, that I was afraid of. That is the one after five years that I've still not done. I keep saying every year I'm going to go get a pedicure done, but I'm like, okay, we're going to, this year is the year we get the pedicure. So, but I started doing the uncomfortable things. I published my book of poetry. Nice. I asked, I asked um, a gentleman out on, on a date to a Christmas party I was invited to. He said, yes. Um, eight months later, we got married. Wow. Um, it was like everything started to, in that mo- after that moment, everything started to click. Mm. And it was, you know, like I felt like it was, you know, the universe saying, okay, I've been waiting for you. Yeah. Right? We've been waiting for you. It's like, now hang on because here we go. Everything yeah. that you, you know, <laughs> everything that you've been through, we're going to take that and we're going to, we're going to magnify it and we're going to use it. And um, I had, I interviewed for that workshop and actually went back that next year and spoke at that, at that same workshop. And yeah. I remember after I, I left the stage, um, because I, I've always said, if I can save one person's life, everything I've gone through is, is worth it. Yeah. That's and I remember beautiful. coming off that stage and having a woman approach me and say, mm. You know how you said you wanted to save a person's life? Today you did. And she turned and walked away. And I was just, I get goosebumps every time I tell yeah. that story because it was so, it was the moment it really cemented for me. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. that, you know, that's why, you know, everything I went through and being able to step into it yep. and own it and say, this is, this is why. So, and now I've just, I've taken it and I've used it. It's like, you know, I, now I'm like, okay, so I will speak at, at podcasts. I've done you know, a couple of live events. I, I decided, um, the lady that I did the workshop or I spoke at, she, um, quit doing the workshops. So I actually made the decision to, you know what, I'm going to host my own. Nice. I'm going to fill that role. So I created my own workshop. I hosted the first one live this year, uh, 2021, we transitioned to virtual because of COVID. So now I'm just providing the same platform that I needed. I'm providing that for other people. What a story. So, so beautiful. And so many things that you shared. So I have, um, you know, some questions just, you know, to make sure that our audience, you know, I'm sure that there's probably multiple people that will relate to your story in some aspects, whether it's the sexual abuse or domestic violence, the mental health issues. So you mentioned that the abuse came out when you were living with your grandparents. So how exactly did the abuse come out? Um, I had an older sister at the time. Well, I still have the older sister, but we were living at my grandparents and she was four years older than I was. And okay. um, she took she took the worst part of the abuse. Mm. Um, and at the age of 16, she basically had a nervous breakdown at school okay. and um, went in and, and it all kind of came out. She talked to the school counselors because she herself had gotten to the point where she was very depressed and um Mm -hmm. so of course she spoke to the school about it school notified the police and and Mm -hmm. i remember you know coming home from school and you know my sister wasn't there which was strange and Mm -hmm. and uh yeah my grandma got a phone call to come down to the police station and that's when she found out about everything so do you feel that you were let down by the system because i know you mentioned you know when you separated from your parents, moving in with your, you know, grandparents, you were patted on the back, everything is going to be okay. And then, you know, your English teacher reading your journals, psychologist, psychiatrist getting involved, once again, pat on the back, you're going to be okay. But you weren't okay. So do you feel that you were let down by the system? Yes, I think it. I was a victim of the time that, that I was living in. Um, you know, we're talking the 80s where um, it, society was just kind of transitioning into the we'll talk about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because it was still really kept shush shush back then. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I think there wasn't there wasn't a follow up. Right. And um, and I think that's and, I, you know, and unfortunately, I think the system still um, still lets it down that way i don't think the follow-up and i mean i understand they're completely overwhelmed in the social work system so um because i mean my own daughter has had um psychiatric issues herself um and i remember you know talking to the social workers and saying there's something wrong with my child i know trust me i know i've been there i can recognize the signs and you know being told no she's just a you know being a normal teenager and i'm like no no she's not and, and being able to send her away to a, um, a facility where she was able to be, you know, have a two-week assessment and came back with a diagnosis. And I was like, you know, I felt vindicated. And I was like, okay, first step is diagnosis. But we have to move on from there and we have to have treatment and follow-up. So, yeah. so I've seen it from both ends of, of right. that spectrum. So, 
Did you ever share with your coworker that took you on, you know, to the women's conference, your story and how she ultimately, you know, saved your life? Yeah, absolutely. She actually helped me organize my first, um, my first workshop. And um, yeah, so we, I've actually moved on from, from that place that we were, I was managing a, a pub at the time and I have since left there. Um, but yeah, I have, um, and I always speak. I mean, when I tell that story, I'm always like, Hey, you need to, you need to watch my podcast. Cause I'm right. Thoughts, right. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I absolutely owe my life. And I've actually sent messages to all the, the speakers, the mm-hmm. Vanessa McWilliams, who is the lady with the alopecia. She actually, I invited her to speak at my first workshop as well. Oh, so nice. as my way of, of paying homage and gratitude to yeah. her. Yeah. Beautiful. So what would be three tips for our listeners or our viewers that are going to be watching and listening to us who may be experiencing, you know, domestic violence, mental health issues, and they feel that there's no one that will understand them. They feel, you know, suicidal. What are three tips that you would give to them? Um, I always say get help. And I mean, however that is for you, whether that's um, finding a friend that you can, you can speak to. Um, reaching out um, there, you know, with the internet now, there are so many resources available for um, for women and men. I mean, I, yeah. I do speak a lot as well about men's mental health because I feel mm-hmm. like that is a an area that is just disregarded completely. But mm-hmm. um, you can find things where you're anonymous if you don't want to go and, you know, and be out there, but definitely reach out to someone. I always tell everybody, um, find me on social media. If you don't feel comfortable going to someone else, like I said, um, when I saw my psychiatrist, she had never suffered any mental health issues. So sometimes you don't feel like they can relate, which is like what I felt. Yeah. So I'm like, I have sat in the dark. I will sit in the dark with anyone mm-hmm. until you're ready to get up into the light. And I'll walk with you. Mm-hmm. So find someone that you feel that you can relate to. Um, get radically honest with yourself. And that's, um, that was one thing that was really important for me was, okay, what do you really want? What do you want? Not what everybody else thinks you should have, not what you think everybody else thinks you should have. What do you want? Yeah. And then start taking action towards that. Um, because you can want things all you want, but until you start stepping out in fear, like I said, that list of six things I was afraid of, that was huge. Until you start taking action in fear, the growth isn't going to, like, it'll happen, but it'll happen so much faster. And start being grateful. So that would be my number three. Um, Especially when you deal with mental health issues, it's so easy for us to focus on the negative that um, I work on training my brain. And mental health is not something that is ever gone. You know, it's like being an, it's like being an alcoholic, right? You're always going to be an alcoholic. You're just a not drinking alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to be someone who suffers from mental health issues. Mm-hmm. It's just dependent. You know, I always say it's like that best friend that you have in your life, but sometimes you wish they'd go away, but <laughs> you're so comfortable with yeah. it. Um, so I recognize it. I'm really mindful of it, but I take the time to focus on what I can be grateful for. Um, and that keeps me focusing because where your focus goes, your energy flows, right? Yeah. So it's 
it's uh, what you focus on, you're going to get more of. So I focus on gratitude and impact and purpose. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So what's, what are you looking forward to in 2022? Oh, um, I really came into 2022 with some really deep intentions for my life. I said 2022 is going to be um, an amazing year for me. Um, I'm working on a, on my autobiography, so I am hoping to get. Uh, let me rephrase that. I will get that published in 2022. I was going to say I'm hoping, but no, it's going to happen. Um, I uh, just held a master class. So I have done um, coaching certification. So I'm working more one-on-one -on -one, um, with women that um, want to kind of move along and step into purpose as well. Um, so yeah, I held a three-day masterclass. I am going to be doing another um, Ignite Your Life. You can see my background. Yep. That's my banner in the background. So I'm looking forward to hosting my event again. I'm hoping it can be live this year. And if not, maybe a hybrid of both live and virtual. So um so yeah i'm just working on expanding my coaching i've got a reiki practice so um i'm just you know working on helping people develop health and wellness in, in their life so i love it i love it and where can our audience connect with you learn more about you and possibly even attend your workshops um well my workshop is called ignite your life so you can find that on uh facebook i am on facebook um, Charlene Madden, empowerment coach and speaker or author. Um, you can find me, um, Charlene Madden speaker.com is my website. And, um, for my coaching programs, I am at Ascension wellness studio.com and I can send you, stuff, so. okay. but yeah, I mean, for sure, reach, reach out on, on Facebook. I I'm always and on Instagram. I'm on Instagram as well. Charlene Madden. So, so yeah. I'm on awesome. Yep. I'll make sure to capture all of that in the show notes so our audience can follow up and connect with you. So as we get ready to wrap up, what is a fearless tip for 2022 that our audience can't, once they listen to it, they can implement it today. Take intentional action. Um, like I said, step into what you're afraid of. Look at the things that make you uncomfortable and go, okay, what can I do to take action towards that? Because we're either, you know, leaning away from fear or leaning into passion. So find a way that you can get passionate about it and lean into it. And um, intentional action will change your life. So. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your wonderful story. Well, thank you. And thank you for providing this platform. I mean, I always you know, love to throw props to um, the podcast hosts who are providing platforms for other people because it's an event like this is a podcast, but these events can impact and save people's yes. lives. So, so thank you for doing what you do. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Fearless Fridays with Marianne. I hope that the conversation with Charlene was impactful for you. And if you are someone that is struggling with dealing with sexual abuse, domestic violence, any type of mental health issues, make sure that you contact uh, 211 uh, Lifeline, get support because there is help out there. And as always, remember, you are fearless, you are fabulous, you are a priority, and you matter. Until next time.
Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you found this episode inspiring and motivating. Don't forget to leave a comment so you can win a fabulous prize at the end of the month. You can leave a review on iTunes or you can head over to YouTube or my Fearless Living Coach page on Facebook if you are an Android user. And as always, remember, you are fearless, you are fabulous, you are a priority, and you matter. See you next time. Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Kelly. The host of Getting Real with Bossy, the real, raw, and honest podcast about small business ownership. We created Bossy to be a safe place to ask the hard questions and to get support that's necessary. With our experience, nine businesses in over 25 years, we continue to bear it all and share what we wish we had known. We move past the must-be-nices and start getting real. Come along as we interview small business owners and get the true story. Leave with another tool for the next time you feel alone on this journey. Business ownership leads to unexpected knowledge. What are you an expert at? Tell us at Getting Real with Bossy and subscribe today.